Welcome to the Classic Rock and Metal Archive Show. Brought to you by the web's favorite classic rock and metal podcast. Vintage interviews and recordings from classic rock and metal bands you know and love. Forget the now. Have some then. Hello out there. And no, you're not hallucinating. We are back for another run of your favorite classic rock and metal podcast. It's been a while, but all things being equal, you can look forward to another series of this award-winning show over the next few months. I'll be talking to more of our favourite bands from back in the day on the regular show, and also featuring newer bands who I think fall into the classic rock and metal style on the next generation shows. This time out though, we're kicking off with one of our classic rock and metal archive shows which have been so popular in the past. That's where we typically bring you an interview from back in the day featuring one of the true giants of rock. It's June, however, and as we all know, that can mean only one thing in the UK, and that's the Download Festival at Castle Donington. In the old days, it was known as the Monsters of Rock Festival and ran on a single day, whereas now it's a three-day affair, plus all the trimmings. In the 1980s, it was the mecca for all things rock, and just before the event, which was always on a Saturday, our glorious leader Tommy Vance would treat us to a special edition of his Friday Rock Show, previewing the event and playing tracks from all the bands on the bill. So, we'll keep up the tradition and travel back 30 years, more or less, to August the 21st, 1987 and bring you the full radio broadcast of Tommy's show that evening. On the bill at Donington that year were headliners Bon Jovi, Anthrax, Metallica, Cinderella and Wasp. And alongside them was a man short on stature but a giant of vocal talent, the late, great Ronnie James Dio. And he joins Tommy in the studio to answer questions and pick a few tracks. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a bit of time travel courtesy of Thomas the Vance. Medium Wave and FM Stereo, this is National Radio 1. Well, hello there, this is TV on the radio, Thomas Vance, the music vendor. Welcome to the Friday Rock Show. Tonight we have another special event in the Friday Rock Show history. Here on the eve of Donington 1987, I have a guest in our studios. One of the constant frontrunners in the world of rock and roll. has done countless gigs around the world. He spent months in recording studios, creating along with various bands a mass of classic tracks, many of which you're going to hear tonight in the program. Stand by on the Friday Rock Show tonight to meet Ronnie James Dio.
Clark Show from BBC Radio 1. That's a classic track and one that's requested time after time after time after time. And I never can play it enough for people because they always see... Actually, if I played that once a week, I think people will be genuinely happy around our country. The man who sings, of course, the vocals on that track is Ronnie James Dio. He's our guest on this programme right now. May I say it's my pleasure. No, it's my pleasure. All right, it's our pleasure. It is our pleasure. And it's going to be their pleasure. <laughs> I certainly hope so. <laughs> so do I. No, I'm sure I, it is. I meant that. It's, it's great to be back uh, and not sit here and pat you on the back or anything, but in 1983, when uh, the first Dio album was released, you were the first person to give us any kind of attention, and genuine attention, I might add. And uh, it was the real springboard for us. So, again, I, I really meant what I said. Thanks, Tom. Okay. It's a ple that, was, that was a genuine pleasure as well to do that at that time. But the first question I want to ask you is, why did it take you so long to start your own band? Well, I don't think I was prepared at all to deal with what one has to deal with, with uh, being in control of other people's lives and other people's careers. Uh, I think I had to uh, make my bones, as they say in the, some form of under, underworld. Uh, I really had to learn my craft a bit more before I was able to take that, up, that upon myself. And having now done so, and done so successfully, although you had to fight at the beginning, you had to fight for attention, mm. having done that, what is the most difficult thing for, if you like, a band leader to achieve? Well, I think it's uh, not repeating yourself so often. Uh, I guess that's a more of a musical answer. I think what you are looking for is more of a personal answer. I think that you have to lead by example. If you give 2,000% of yourself and only ask 1,000% of those around you, then I think you're going to be okay. But if you don't have the leadership uh, advantage of being able to prove that you can do it yourself, then no one's going to respect or listen to you. And luckily for me, I've been in enough organizations and bands and whatnot to prove that uh, I at least come out successful most of the time. But Ronnie, another thing that you have to do is to take on board very young people who don't have, if you like, international experience. And you have to watch them grow within the framework of your band and within the framework of rock and roll, which can contort people's ideas very quickly. No, it's very, very true. Uh, I've always been one to kind of surround myself with people with young attitudes, if not young in, in body, certainly young in spirit. Uh, we, this is, is, will always be a young person's media, always. Uh, and I've been very fortunate in, in, in choosing some young, especially guitar players, who have really helped what I've done uh, just immensely. Uh, I've, I've learned as much from them, I think, as they've learned from me, and I think that's something we shouldn't forget, that their young attitude is something that you know, we lose after a while. We get a bit jaded here and there, and they've been able to keep me alert and aware of what's going on in the world around me. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's uh, like being a surrogate parent, isn't it? Most of the time it's like being a surrogate parent, but I think sometimes it's like being a surrogate parent to yourself, too. Um, Again, we rock and rollers have very young attitudes and very young ideas, and it's difficult sometimes to stop and, and, and deal as a grown-up. Mm. Uh, I'm able to do that now. Uh, but yes, being a surrogate parent is, uh, I like to put it more as a, a brother, an older brother. An older brother. Let's, let's not get ourselves too old here. <laughs> okay. I'm going to play a track from a new album, new to this country anyway, by a band who've been around for a long time, and well, just for the heck of it, it's a good track. It's by Aerosmith.
country band who've uh, swung back into prominence. They're going to be doing some tours, some gigs in this country quite soon. They are called Aerosmith. That is a track from their latest album, just released in the UK, called Permanent Vacation. My guest on the Friday Rock Show is the man who is the special guest on the bill tomorrow at Donington, the Monsters of Rock Festival, Ronnie James Deer. Ronnie, how many gigs have you done? Have you any idea? Our drummer has a perfect idea. He catalogs each and every show. I haven't got a clue how yeah. many they are. To me... They don't become faceless. I remember most of them by the venue and by the hotel, of course. Uh, I, I try not to, to really chronicle the things that we do. I just take it one at a time and enjoy it as it comes. Yeah. Uh, we've probably done since 1983. We've, we've, we tour about 10 months every year. Uh, so if someone out there uh, on this lovely Friday night can compute that, then we'll hear about it next week. I guess. But then, I mean, I want to do, sort of take it even further than that. In your life, how many gigs oh, have you I done? I tell you, Tommy, I, I don't know. Probably more than... More than I care to remember. But a lot. I mean, a, a very, lot, yeah. A, a very a significant lot. figure. Probably, uh, I would say I do at least at least uh, 200 a year. Yeah, at be. least that. So if we uh, multiply that by easily, the, well, I started when I was five years old. Uh, if we start getting into yearly goings there, I certainly didn't do that when I was five. But I'd say probably, uh, let me give you a guess here, 5,000? Yeah. Easily, easily 5,000. That's a lot. Okay. Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> I don't know if it's taken its toll. I hope it hasn't. Probably has a little bit, though. Do you remember that the first gig you ever did? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Was this as Elf? Uh, it was as a band called the Vegas Kings. Great. And there were, uh, I think, seven of us. Yeah. Uh, again, those, you know, those are the times when you're, you're really sorting out what your priorities are and what you can do and what you can't do. So it's, hey, do you have a guitar? Sure, I've got one. All right, if you've got one and you're in the band... And we, we played, I believe it was at a, it was at a, a teen center at a dance. And it was the most fun I've ever had in my life. Was that the, the sort of legendary thing that, that uh, British people would know as a, uh, as a sock hop? Now, only because we've seen, being, I, mean, I actually lived in America for a long time, so half and half, I suppose, in many ways. But we, we've seen, I remember when I was a kid, used to see all these black and white movies about American high schools, right? It was the sort of sock hop. And to us, I suppose, Brits, was sock was a smack in the mouth. No, what it was, actually, uh, a sock hop was something different. A sock hop was, a, you went and took your shoes off, obviously. Yeah. And you had to dance on the, on the floor of the gymnasium because it was prepared for basketball events or, or gymnastic events, and they didn't want you to scratch it with your, with your shoes with the clips on the bottom of them. So a sock hop was something you did to protect the floor, yeah. and you slid across the floor, and that's what you did. The teen center was a place where kids could go without it being under the auspices of, uh, of your school situation or your local government. More so it's like a YMCA or a YWCA, yes, those yeah. kind of things. So it was a bit more free. Um, schools notoriously wanted to hear... Uh, I think trumpets and saxophones and whatnot like that. And guitars were taboo. Yeah. But teen centers gave you the opportunity to really do whatever you wanted to do. And uh, that was the first one, and that's what opened my eyes to it all. Now, the other six guys that you were on stage with, have any of them gone anywhere? No. As a matter of fact, no. They haven't at all. No, I'm... Let me rephrase that. Yes, they have with their lives, but as far as a musical uh, continuation, no. They haven't? No. no. But then who is your oldest mate in the business? Uh, I would have to be, I think in terms of longevity anyway, it would have to be Jimmy Bain, uh, who we've been together since 1975, so 13 years down the road, yeah. Uh, the other people I've really lost contact with, they were very, very young when I was very young, mm -hmm. and uh, 
careers go in different, different directions. In those days, it wasn't fashionable to be a rock and roller or to, to want to pursue that as a career. That was something that uh, it was only a passing fancy, and it really made no sense at all to do. Well, I loved it so much that it was going to make sense for me to do, and that was what I was always going to do, and, and luckily have been able to. Mm -hmm. So no one else has had carried on that way. I'm sure that there are doctors and lawyers, and hopefully they've done that well. Yeah. Probably a few down and outs along the way, too, out of those six or seven people. Okay. Here's a choice of this man. It's Born to be Wild.
Steppenwolf, Born to be Wild, here on the Friday Rock Show, uh, a song that was a hit quite a long time ago. It was also featured in a film called Easy Rider. In fact, it was the fact that it was featured in that film, Easy Rider, that made that record a hit, to the best of my recollection. Great track, never seems to date. Features a fellow who, I believe, came from East Germany, then went to the States. Guy with the name of, I think his name was John Kay. Maybe you can put me right, Ronnie, is that right? I don't know about the, the German part. I know that he was uh, he lived in Canada for a long time. And the band uh, originally was called, I believe, Sparrow, I think they were called. Mm -hmm. band from either Toronto or Montreal, the eastern part of Canada. But uh, a song, as you said, just never, ever seems to have any uh, age specification at all. Just always holds up on its own. And I think the very first mention of the word heavy metal in the song, I think, in this one. That's and right. it's, uh, it's just been such an anthem, I think, for so many young rock and rollers, say, born to be wild, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wonder... I've, I, if we knew this, of course, we'd all be multi, multi, multi millionaires. What makes a record uh, so unique and attractive that it does stand up over decades? Have you any idea? Again, uh, uh, the, that is the uh, the answer to the jackpot question. If we could put our finger on that, that that time after time, I think conditions have to be right. I think you have to be the right person for the right time. You can't be a man for all seasons. You have to be a man for a specific season or uh, a woman for a specific season. Well, let's not forget everyone everyone in this world yeah. i don't know it's it's there are a lot of variables that go into it i think and if you just hit it at the right time it happens dedication i think has always been the answer i think if you do things if you do them well enough you're always going to be accepted for mm. being successful how do you stay fit well they've told me year after year after year that uh, singing is the best exercise in the world now i'm sure they probably say exactly the same thing to weightlifters and to runners and to uh, people who speak on the radio like yourself, Tommy, because you're so fit, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just look after myself an awful lot. I don't abuse myself. Uh, I'm not a drug person. I never have been. Uh, and I would, of course, having that opportunity, advise everyone else not to be, not to do the same. Just, I think, uh, I've always been a man, mind over matter. I can deal with myself. I don't really have to go to a, to a physician and to have him tell me what, what's happening with my body. I, I'm very attuned with myself, and I've always been able to overcome any problems that I, that, that I think I may have had, just mentally. Uh, so I don't know what it is. I just look after myself. Some people might say then your attitude to, to life is, a, is very spiritually guided. Well, I think that they would say that. I never think of it in, that, in those terms. I'm not that kind of a person. I, I don't, uh, I don't uh, have a mantra that I, uh, that I go through um, day after day, and I, I don't think about spiritual things that way. I think it's just something kind of uh, that I inbred into myself. Mm. I, I, I care about me and I care about the world around me. And I think when you're in tune with that, you, you the spiritual end of it will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And you survived. So it must yeah. be a good formula. Well, I don't know. I, I, it depends on how well I've survived and what I've done with that survival. I, I'm, I'm happy with myself and that I think is the answer to it all. I've always been very happy with me and I always will be happy with me. Blinding the snow 
Dio from the album Sacred Heart, track of course, Rock and Roll Children. Ronnie James Dio is my guest here on the Friday Rock Show. Of all the songs that you've put down, that you've recorded, uh, and indeed maybe there are some that you have recorded that haven't been released. Uh, in fact, are there? Let me just put that question to you. No, as a matter of fact, there aren't. There have never been songs recorded that have not been released. Uh, I've always been one to be very careful about getting rid of the ones that shouldn't be released. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been times, in fact, on this particular album, on the album uh, that you played Rock and Roll Children from, Sacred Heart, there was a track that we finished and mixed and was going to be included on the album. And I really hated that song. You have no idea how I dislike that song. And most of the time, I will listen to the people in the band, of course. Even I, I do produce the, the product, and so therefore the, the final word does can come from me. But this is a band, and you, you must be democratic at some point. Uh, after all, they did create that music. We did it together. So I do listen most of the time. And that one, I listened and listened, and they kept saying, yes, it's good, and yes, it's good. And they almost had me talked into it until one night I couldn't stand it anymore. And... When everyone was out the room, I took a razor blade to that tape and let it play and just cut it right to little ribbons because I couldn't stand it. I did not think it was representative of the band, first, or of me as an individual, yeah. secondly. So I just scrubbed it, and uh, I'll continue to do that. Was that because of the, of the lyrical content? No, I just thought the song was very wishy-washy, that it was not in any way, shape, or form uh, uh, a reflection of what this band should be and what it could be. One must always think about what's to come. I try not to ever look back over my shoulder. Those are things that have happened. Keep them as warm and good memories. Uh, I'm not saying that classic rock isn't important, just as classic life isn't important, because it is. But I'm a person who, as early on in my life, decided I was going to go forward and never go backward. To me, that was a backward step. That song and songs like it were backward steps. They, they just were fillers, and I couldn't deal with it. That album, Sacred Heart, was enough of a trauma anyway for me to deal with and for all of us to deal with. It was the kind of the culmination of Dio Mach 1 yeah. because it spelled the end of uh, Vivian Campbell's tenure in the band. Uh, making that album was very, very difficult. We were, we were not very productive within ourselves. We were very unhappy, and when you... When you're unhappy, you make unhappy music and not very successful music. I know it's been said to me many times, uh, how do you feel about the, the disappointing way that the Sacred Heart album was, was uh, accepted and received? And I can only say that it's probably very true that uh, the general feeling is right, that it was disappointing because we were somewhat treading water at the time, not knowing what was going to happen. Was Vivian going to stay? Was he going to go? Should we carry on? Shouldn't we carry on? Uh, those things are very traumatic. Anyway, that was one of the reasons for, for chucking that song, I think. Okay, and now inevitably I have to ask you this question. Mm -hmm. Why did he go? Well, because, as I've suggested, it got to be a very unproductive time. I think Vivian was very unhappy with what was happening, and I don't know why. Um, I think perhaps in some ways, we, we, when, we're, when we are that young and when some success has been hoisted upon us so at such an early age, and Viv was you know, very, very young when it first happened for us. He was just 18 years old when we first spoke in 1983. And I think that a lot of times, unless you keep your life and your music in perspective, the people around you start telling you that you're a little bit better than perhaps you are. Mm. Uh, so he wanted what he thought were bigger and better things. Mm, I don't really know if I can say that either. I think that just we were all dealing with our own, our own particular uh, life situation at the time. I don't think that he had other aspirations out of the band Dio that were going to be more important than the band Dio. I just think that he saw avenues, people were describing avenues to him that he could take uh, to go around the Dio highway yeah. and uh, getting waylaid like that I think that there was a detour that he just couldn't get back on. You speak very well. 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm I, I don't, it's not my position to slag anybody, and I'm certainly not going to do that to, to Viv. He was a very important and integral part of this band. Uh, had it not been for Viv, we wouldn't have enjoyed the success that we did. But then let me also say that without Vinny Apice, without Jimmy Bain, without Claude Schnell, and without myself, we wouldn't have that, that uh, success either. This was a band effort, and so I'm not going to say anything bad about Viv. Mm -hmm. He doesn't deserve it. He's uh, uh, embarked upon another phase of his career now, playing with White Snake, and it's for Viv to deal with Viv now, and I hope it goes all goes very well for him. Good luck to him. Yes, absolutely. Well, back to the to the uh, part one of my stumbled original question. Of all the songs that you have put down, not just as dear, but all the songs you have put down, which is the one that you would dearly love to go on and on and on? Like a song that we're going to play later in this show, like Whole Lot of Love. I think probably the song Heaven and Hell. Um, that was a very important time in my life. I had come from Rainbow, which was a, uh, my opportunity to show my, my wares. Uh, I thank Richie for that all the time, Richie Blackmore. He's the one who gave me my opportunity to show what I was worth and to give me the chance to do it. Uh, but Sabbath was a different situation. This was going into a band that, to me, had been the heavy metal band. The, that was the first heavy metal band. A band uh, that didn't apologize for coming to town. It just stepped on buildings when it came to town. And to be included in that, in that, that band was very special to me. Uh, I was not and am not or never will be Ozzy Osbourne. He is the one who, who was the vocalist and songwriter in that era who helped create that, that band and make it what it was and, and what it is in its classic form. But at that time, Sabbath was a band that really was founder, uh, floundering. It, it had not happened at the time. Uh, and within my inclusion in it, we pulled us up, ourselves up by our bootstraps and cared a lot about each other and knew we could do it again, especially under the banner of a band that had been so successful, and created Heaven and Hell. And again, so important because in that period of time, 1978, this seemed to be the resurgence of heavy metal. Now, I've never thought that there was a desurgence of heavy metal, if that's a word, and if it isn't, we're going to take credit for that one on this show. Uh, but it was important to me that yet again I could be involved in something that was paving the way for those who are who came after me and who are going to continue to come after me. And those are the, the young bands, the, uh, the, the Bon Jovis, the Cinderella's, uh, the Tesla's, uh, not the Aerosmith because they'll always be around, but bands too, you know, innumerable to mention, uh, Metallica's, uh, all of them, the bands that will be on Donington, bands that will be playing years from now. That was important to me because someone has to take our place. And I wanted to be able to look back with pride and say, uh, I had a little bit to do with keeping rock and roll alive because we know better than anyone that it's had nothing but stones thrown at every from its inception and probably will always have that happen but that doesn't matter we're out there to keep it strong and be the the, the banner carriers and so that was so important for me to make that album heaven and hell and that song that was a chance for me to get all these things off my chest that i always wanted to say in black sabbath i could say anything i could praise anything i could uh, denounce anything i didn't i hopefully but it was a song that l let me say the one statement that was most important to me. I've always felt to be somewhat of a spokesman for, for kids, for people who are maybe lonely, uh, maybe uh, have been looked down upon because their hair is too long, because they like the wrong kind of music. And more importantly, the kids are playing bands. And so I made the statement that, was, that I've always wanted to make, which was, the world is full of kings and queens who blind your eyes and steal your dreams. It's heaven and hell. And that all means that beware of people who try to blind your eyes with promises. They're your dreams, your dreams to try to attain. You don't have to attain them because it's just as much fun getting 
getting to the the uh, uh, the success factor. But if you have those dreams, don't let anyone rob you of those those wonderful ideas that you have by stealing them and putting them in their pocket and leaving you lonely by the side of the road. So beware of those kings and queens out there who blind your eyes and steal your dreams. It was very important for me to be able to make that statement, and that statement has been something that I've tried to live with since that time of, in 1978 with that album. So it's been very important to me, and luckily for me again, and for the, or f and for the Sabs at that time, it's been, again, considered another one of those classic kind of... Uh, songs and albums along with another one i'm very proud of rainbow rising which is also another of its kind so i guess if i've left any kind of legacy it's been heaven and hell and a lot of rainbow rising so i've talked too long and there you go and this is heaven and hell
that was Heaven and Hell, the choice of our guest, Ronnie James Dio, here on the Friday Rock Show. And here's something else you can wrap your ears into. See, what can you do with 
The album is called Love is for Suckers. It's the latest album by Twisted Sister. Wake Up the Sleeping Giants was the track that you heard. Dee Schneider, of course, is the lead singer of that band. They've been on Donington before. They're well known on television in this country, too. And uh, there is a rumour, whether it's true or not, only time will tell. Well, a little bit of time tomorrow night, that is. There's a rumour that Dee Schneider might appear with one of the bands on the bill at the, at the Monsters of Rock Festival tomorrow at Castle Donington. Is it you? As of this moment, it's not. No, he's, <laughs> he, he would make me even look smaller than I am, I think. No, I've, I've heard that rumour too. We'll, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. I don't know, the, the, the little rumour is that he might get up there and do a bit. I like that album. Do you know the album? I know it briefly. Uh, I, again, I've been so involved in uh, running around shouting about our own one. and I've, I've heard it in passing a lot of the places that I've been. Uh, I don't know anything other than the few tracks I've heard. Right. But it seems like a good one. It's very commercial. Yeah, it's it a lot more like commercial than, than the stuff they've done before. Well, I think that with the, uh, uh, the, the last LP was a bit ill-fated, and I think that now they've had to come back to a, a, a different attitude now, especially with the dreaded PMRC. For those of you who don't know about that, that's the parents' organization in the United States who took a real good shot at D and at, uh, at Wasp and people like that for, you know, they claimed that the uh, lyrics were making our children run around without any clothes on and, and do all these terrible things, you know, which I, of course, don't agree with. And uh, also you don't sing about either. No, no, not at all, no. Whereas, no. in fact, they do to a certain degree, let's be honest. Yes, they do. Uh, and, you know, whatever my feelings are about it, uh, you know, I defend their right to say whatever they want to. After all, we're dealing with some very, very strong freedoms here. People have died for these freedoms over the course of uh, through, uh, well, two world wars. I guess I'm jumping a gun there, aren't I? Let's hope that doesn't happen. Two world wars and uh, some very, uh, some skirmishes that they didn't call world wars, but we could anyway. Um, as I say, people died for these freedoms and let's not tamper with them. That's the wrong, wrong thing to do. But no, I don't deal with that. Uh, I think that there are more important values in, in life to deal with than telling people to uh, jump on motorbikes and commit suicide, whatever it may be. You know, and, and I think that it doesn't run as rampant as we think it does. No. As soon as we pay a little bit of attention to, to something like that, it becomes that real microcosm. Now we're all staring at it with the most powerful uh, microscope in the world, and it's just not fair. And then you start lumping everyone together. Again, not very fair. But no, I don't do that myself. I don't, don't write that way. It's just not something that appeals or pleases to me. Over the last six years, uh, particularly in America, there's been uh, really a revolution with regard to what rock and rollers, indeed musicians as a whole, have to do to attain success or to sustain success. And I'm talking here about videos. Video clips have become a very, very important thing. With the advent of, of MTV in, in America, it became massively important. And now with the ad advent of MTV in Europe, it's going to be, I think, important yet again. We have Top of the Pops. It's always been important for um, teen, a thousand years, that show's been on the air, just about. Now, when that occurred, did you recognize six years ago how important it was going to be to the industry and therefore to you? I think that that we all recognize that. I think certainly those of us who had been around for a few years realized that here was yet another incredible avenue, another window for us to, uh, uh, to be able to hand our music over to someone and say, what do you think? At least to give them the chance for, for their own choice. Yes, I think we all really did recognize it right away and were there uh, immediately to, to want to be on the ground floor and to help and to try to take part. I'm sure that there were a few, uh, few people who, who did it for their own 
their own uh, ends. Mm -hmm. But I think we all definitely realize that it was just another great tool, and, and it certainly would help us spread the, the rock and roll word around around this world. But it suddenly became a different avenue of activity, didn't it? Also a different different avenue for your talent, or you had to develop a talent to be able to stand in front of a camera and act, or at least consider where you stood in relationship to the camera. You had to become something different, didn't you? And some people didn't make it. Well, I think it was a bit like uh, the uh, films when, when we had the silent era. Uh, as soon as the talkies came in, you had these uh, people who, you had a preconception of, of your favorite artist, your favorite film star. And as soon as you heard uh, them attempting to convince you in, in an audio way, you heard this squeaky little voice coming from someone who was a big macho person or this strange little accent coming from Theda Berra or whoever was a, a film star at the time. And I think this is the same. It spell the doom of some careers and I think certainly heightened and uh, accelerated the careers of a lot of other people. And we all noticed it happening but I think if we want to carry it on a little bit farther now we find that uh, it's stopped giving the attention to the kind of people that I am or people like me are. Uh, I think MTV weaned itself and became successful because of the hard rockers initially yeah. and then it seemed, seemed as though uh, they turned their backs on us. We weren't important anymore. It became more new music uh, that seemed to be more important than anything we were doing and uh, now it wasn't safe to be contaminated by the uh, Twisted Sisters and Iron Maidens and Dio's and Judas Priest and etc. etc. Of, of the rock and roll world. And now it's gone back round again. Of course I think we have John Bon Jovi and his band to thank for that a lot. But um, I like anything else we get we get trends. The whole point is we realized its importance and have tried to stick with it and now it's come around full circle again and it's it's there to help us again have you enjoyed making videos do you like being in front of a camera do you find it uh, a challenge exciting or daunting i would find it exciting very very challenging if i were able to do it myself uh, i'm a person who likes to be in control of his own destiny and i've always felt whether rightly or wrongly and i'm not saying that i'm, I'm right i'm only giving you my own attitude that I'm able to deal with me better than anyone else can deal with me because I know me better than anything. Uh, there have been attempts to try to put me into the acting situation, not in film, but in the video end of it. And I've always balked at that very strongly. If anything, I'm a narrator. That's what I do with my music. I'm a narrator. I give people uh, avenues which they can go down, safe avenues. I don't shove it down their throats. I don't tell them this is what they must do. So a narrator is what I am. I don't want to be a film star. I don't want to be a video star. But I would enjoy it much more if I felt that most of the videos I'd done had been true to the attitude of the song that I'd written. After all, I am the lyricist on the songs, and I know exactly what they're supposed to say and what they're supposed to portray. I think the music does that, but as soon as you start giving visuals to the wrong idea, you've taken that song and I think convoluted it some way to make it not my song anymore, not our song anymore. So that, that is daunting to me. That right. is daunting to me. But I respect the media and, and medium, and I, I hope it, it will get better for me anyway. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually. This is another choice by Mr. D.
And that's Metal Church. The track was called Watch the Children Pray. Here on the Friday Rock Show tonight, on this eve of Donington 1987, my guest is Ronnie James Dio. Ronnie James Dio and his band Dio will be the special guests on the bill tomorrow. Who else should we be watching for tomorrow? Let's see, we have uh, Wasp on tomorrow. That's it. They say they're, they're going to be completely over the top. That's what uh, we're hearing from their press office. But then have they ever been anything but? No, I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> uh, Cinderella. Uh -huh. now, Cinderella, only known really by their records here. Yeah, I I'd, I'd think this will probably be the first uh, European-type appearance for them. I think yeah. it is. Uh, good little band, too, by the way. Mm -hmm. Good people, too. I know them. Uh, who else do we have? Anthrax? Yeah. Now, Anthrax and Metallica, very different in style. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and somewhat different in audience reaction, too. Well, I think that Metallica, who I would have to give the nod uh, to as the, uh, the really the, the uh, beginners of this musical genre, I mean, these are really the people who made it what it is, I think, have now started to become, uh, please don't take me wrong, everybody hears this, uh, not a bit more mellow, I don't mean it quite that way, but I think that they're looking inside of the music a little bit more. I think they've become a little bit more progressive, yep. and I don't mean progressive to the point where they've become something totally different. They haven't. But I think that generally happens, that there is only one way to go in music, and that is to be, to get more progressive, to use more chord changes, to be a bit more melodic. Anthrax have stayed a bit closer to uh, their, the original thrash idea, yes. I think. But they, of course, will, the same will happen to them. I'm sure it will. Yeah, they, I think they awaken diff different stirrings inside their audiences, the, the two, but I s still think that they are m very similar. Mm -hmm. Bon Jovi. 11 million copies of that album, Slippery mm. When Wet, has been, have been sold worldwide, that's what we're told. That's phenomenal. It certainly is. It's amazing. It really is. Again, we talked about this earlier in the show. The climate has to be right for it, and the climate was absolutely right for, for the band. But let's remember that they have toured almost nonstop for something like three years now. And when you work that hard, if you're worth it, you usually get good results, and they certainly have gotten good results, so I guess we'll have to put it down to being good enough to, to, to deserve what they've gotten and working very hard for it. Mm. Can I talk to you, and I don't want to pry here, can I talk to you about your personal life? Certainly. I mean, what is your personal life? You're on the road for, say, ten months of the year, mm -hmm. then I assume you have little or no personal life. But for the other two months, what do you do? I'm usually in the studio, um, making another album. You, you sometimes get very trapped by your own existence. Uh, you must maintain when you get to a certain success plateau, the only thing you can do is to either try to maintain it or reach above that. And if you sit back and think that the world is going to come to you, you're very, very mistaken. You have to work hard at what you do, especially a band like ourselves. We are not, of course, Bon Jovi, and we'll probably never sell 10 or 11 million albums. Perhaps we will in, in total, but we are not that kind of band. We're a bit more unique. I've always uh, had my own distinct feelings as to what music should be made around me. Uh, so therefore, we, we are not really a mainstream kind of band. Mm -hmm. So I don't see us being that. But you still have to maintain. I'm very dedicated to the music that we make. I've never, ever done something that, that I haven't wanted to do or that people tell me I must do. I, I can't react that way. Uh, again, I write for people. It's The people are the ones who have gotten me where I am. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today if I hadn't had an incredibly loyal following. And then therefore all the bands I've been in, and of course this band has had a great loyal following. So we just try to give back. And the only way to give back is to work at it all the time. I know it sometimes it makes, uh, it makes uh, Joe and Billy very uh, 
bland people. I hope it hasn't done that to me. But it's something that I love, and I've, I've been really the luckiest person in the world to be able to do what I love every day of my life. Why should I want to go to Mallorca? I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, lying on the beach and getting a tan is a complete waste of time and is only going to give me skin cancer in the end. I prefer to do something that I love. Okay, then in your personal life, which little and uh, you, you seem to have, from the way you describe it, I mean, what do you do? Do you sit and watch TV? Do you have children? Uh, I, I don't sit and watch TV. I don't have the time for that. I would if I could. Uh, I have almost always written the songs I've written while there's been a sporting event on television. I'm a, I'm a real uh, sports buff. I love any kind of athletic action, any kind of activity. Uh, I did that all through my formative high school years, uh, grade school years, high school years. I wrestled, played baseball, basketball, football, soccer, as, it's, as we call it in America, football as you call it here, uh, chair throwing, anything. Anything that smacked of any kind of athletic uh, activity. And I like that so much because I can equate with them. They're entertainers, same as we are. Um, they play Wembley. We haven't yet, <laughs> but a lot of uh, my peers certainly have. Uh, it's an event. Uh, I equate a lot of uh, athletes with the uh, members of a band. In American football, which is, seems to have taken your country by somewhat of a storm, mm -hmm. you have uh, the big brawny linemen, these people who are six feet, six tall, and weigh over 300 pounds. To me, that's the drummer and the bass player. These are the foundations. And then you have the fleet running backs or the wide receivers who catch the ball or run through these behemoths. Those are usually the guitar player or the, uh, or the vocalist. And then you have uh, uh, people who call the plays and say, well, we can do it better if we go this way. Perhaps that's a keyboard player. But I, you can see I equate all of that with athletics. So that is my second love. Athletics and music are the things that are most important to me. So I will watch them whenever I have the opportunity. Again, I write while watching them because there is no subliminal um, musical noise to me. And if I hear music, I, everything else stops for me and I'm immediately drawn to it and I hear everything that's going on. So this... It takes me away from that. I'm able to enjoy one of my other fantasies, which is the athletic end of it, while writing about fantasy, which is what I do an awful lot. Uh, children know. Uh, someday, perhaps. Um, right now, I wouldn't think it would be fair to a child to, to l force it to enter my life. I perhaps don't have enough time for it. But maybe I'm deluding myself. Perhaps if, if that happened, uh, it would make me a a more well-rounded person. But at the moment, I'm very happy, so I, I don't deal with that. Again, my personal life and my work life are very, very much the, the same. Mm. So I don't feel that I lack uh, in, in either aspect. Where do you live? I live in Los Angeles. In the center, in Beverly Hills? No, 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 I wouldn't do that. I live, uh, I live in the what's called the San Fernando Valley. Uh, it's a very neighborhood kind of community. Uh, where I grew up, my, my, most of my young years were spent in... Uh, in New York State, but in the middle of New York State, where one doesn't see much other than cows and horses. And so I grew up with a lot of milk around me, I guess, and uh, the smell of that sweet smell of uh, uh, animal and product. Uh, and I like the values very much living there. So uh, you're a country boy, huh? I am, yes. Uh -huh. We never had to lock our doors when we were growing up. Uh, neither our car doors or our, the doors to our homes, and no one ever stole anything from us. Uh, we didn't, murder was not a word in our vocabulary. Mm. If it was, it was only on a television program or a radio program. Brothers and sisters? None, no, an only child. Uh, Italian, I, obviously. Italian, yes. Uh, when I moved to Los Angeles, I right away did not want to be caught up into that, in that scene. I'm not uh, someone who gravitates toward 
plastic, uh, unreal people. So I wanted to go where I could have neighbors who, who had good values, who perhaps had to lock their doors, but uh, who didn't worry about me being the one who was going to break into their home. So I've been able to perhaps have an extension of my growing up life while still living in uh, glitzy California, because there are places in California that are just like uh, places in Devon and Cornwall. Absolutely. Except for the weather. Yeah, except which is, let's be perfectly honest, in California the weather is brilliant. It really, really is, yeah. Our only worry there is that someday that Arizona may be the beach territory and that California will be... Uh, in the ocean. The new Atlantis, yeah. <laughs> it might be said, and uh, indeed it could be hurled at you in a, in a disparaging way, by nobody in, in this part of the world, but by in the States, uh, by people in America, in your home country, that you are the voice of middle America. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps I've, I've never heard it put that way before. I don't try to be. I think that with the advent of... Uh, uh, such incredible travel methods that we have these days and of course the media uh, with television with cable with satellite dish I think it's taken middle America and put middle America right in the middle of New York City or in the middle of Los Angeles or by the same token New York and LA in the middle of Dubuque Iowa mm. uh, I think we've really closed that gap middle America certainly still has its own values and that is what you're referring to I'm sure um, were I to be the voice of middle America that's fine with me because I think it when we think of all the very talented people who have come from a middle America, a name that springs to mind would be Marlon Brando. I'm sure most people would think that Marlon Brando was one of those D's and Dem guys who lived on the waterfront, which is what you think about when you see him. Or uh, in The Wild One, uh, mm. the bike person. But no, I mean, I think he's from Nebraska. Uh, our uh, Bob Dylan, Minnesota. Bob Dylan, Prince. Uh, Minnesota. We can, you know, go, the list goes on and on and on. You, one does not have to be from uh, a teeming city center, uh, thriving urban population to be successful. It's just a matter of talent and, again, climate and condition that we talked about before. Mm. So if I'm going to be the voice of middle America, then I guess that'll be okay with me. It suits him. <laughs>
Stand Up and Shout from the album Holy Diver. Dio the band, Ronnie James Dio, our guest on the Friday Rock Show. But just before I return, have a further chat with Ronnie. Can I just tell you this? On September the 4th at London's Astoria Theatre, a new organisation which is called the British Metal Revolution is going to be launched with a concert by Rathchild, Choir Boys and The Grip. Now, the British Metal Revolution will promote a weekly club night in London called the Mega Metal Club every Saturday night at the Astoria, which is in Charing Cross Road, just round a corner from Tottenham Court Road. And any bands who may be interested in appearing... Well, if you would like to appear, send your demo to this address, okay? So if you're a band who wants to get a bit of action, a bit of recognition, and you have a demo, send it to the Astoria Theatre, Charing Cross Road, London. Care of the British Metal Revolution, okay? Care of the British Metal Revolution, send your demo to the Astoria Theatre, Charing Cross Road, in London. And don't forget, the first gig is once again on September the 4th at London's Astoria Theatre, and it will feature Rathchild, Choir Boys, and The Grip. Back to Ronnie James Dio. Ronnie, what are we going to see from you tomorrow? Are you prepared to tell us what you'll be playing tomorrow? Or are you going to keep that as a surprise? Well, I can. let me tell you uh, in a kind of a blanket form here. Um, we're, we're very well known for bringing large stage productions with us. Of course, we are not... Uh, top of this bill. It's, this is Bon Jovi's show. So they will do what they want to do. So we don't want to get in the way of it at all. And to insist upon something like that would only make this entire show more difficult. So we're going to approach it as being what we are, rock and roll band. So we're going to go out and do, of course, some of our history, which includes not only my history, but in Rainbow, Jimmy Bain and, and, and my history. And in Sabbath, Vinnie Apice and my history as well. So I don't feel as though I'm just suddenly forcing what I've done in the past on people. I do genuinely think that those songs should not be forgotten. I think that they're very, very important. They're, they're also Im very important to the audience, you know. Well, I hope they, so. They want to hear them. I hope so. They were important to me. Uh, Heaven and Hell, I probably will always do all of, all of my life, whether that lasts for another ten minutes or another ten centuries. Uh, I'll always like to do that song and want to do that song and will do. Uh, as far as Rainbow songs, we'll all, probably always will do some portion of Man on the Silver Mountain and the song that we... Uh, kicked this program, program off with Long Live Rock and Roll, which of course was a, another anthemy kind of one. Uh, but we have so much of our own material to draw from. Dio has now had, well, what should we say, four and a half pieces of product out now. And it gets very difficult to sift through it all and say what is important and what isn't. We'll be doing probably four to five tracks from our newest LP, LP from Dream Evil. Uh, and we'll be touching, of course, upon tracks from Holy Diver, Sacred Heart, and The Last in Line. Uh, other surprises, I really don't know of any, but our whole attitude is this is a festival with a lot of people who are going to be dumping all kinds of liquids on each other. And uh, I think if you try to create too many moods in a situation like that, uh, you're, a, you're a bit remiss. So we're yeah. going to just go out and play a lot of rock and roll and do the best we can. Okay, then I now have to ask you, what about a, a fully-fledged tour as a headline act in Europe? Well, I've, I've always, I think most people who have followed uh, my... Uh, career, my longings, have known that I consider every place in the world to be where this band resides. We are a band of the world. We go wherever we can, um, wherever they'll have us, and it doesn't matter how far it is. Um, people who don't go to Helsinki will probably not know that we go there an awful lot. We've just returned from Helsinki yet again for, our, I think it was our fifth time in Finland. We do the same in Australia. We try to go everywhere we can. Um, so my point being that uh, we we will always do a tour here. Donington will not be our death throw. It won't be 
well, they played Wembley, and I guess that's covering Britain. No, uh, to me, playing Britain is playing in Newcastle, of course, and uh, going down to St. Austell, if weather permits. And all of the places that are important to the people who cannot afford to go to Donington, who can't uh, make the trip to Donington. So uh, in answer to your question, now that I've skirted the issue there for a while, our plans are to tour in America and, uh, after the first of the year, yes. to build a stage set, of course, and to bring it here to Britain. So that will probably be for us, uh, I would think, April, May, perhaps sooner than that, perhaps slightly later, but we will be coming through again uh, after the first of the year. Okay, so big tour next year. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, we're running out of time, actually, because I want to play a track from everybody who's on the bill tomorrow. Oh, yeah. But I, I do have a final question. I'd be very interested in knowing why you've only been involved in, in a limited amount of production in your time and you concentrated your production virtually on yourself there's a lot that you can offer given your studio experience which now must be second to none uh, there's a lot you can offer and probably profit from if you uh, applied yourself to up-and-coming talent well I've never felt that my career has been over or will be over my first allegiance is to this band and I've always felt that uh, I have to continue to nurture the things that I've begun, and that is the bandio. Uh, when you set yourself up as a controller of, of an organization like this, then you have to also take the burden upon yourself to not let them vegetate somewhere off to the side. I've always said this before, this is a band. It's a band called Dio. It's not Ronnie Dio's solo project. It's a band, so I owe them things. I want this band to survive, and the only way it survives is to continually work at it. Taking production time off for someone else would mean another two to three months of my life and their life as well. Also, working 10 months out of the year, or even if we worked six months and then spent three months doing our own project, I would need, in fairness to the band I was producing, at least a month off to clean my ears out. I do have plans to do it, and I, and I will, and I want to, but I have to be very careful about this band first, and this is what I worry about. Um, I don't know. I, I'd like to say also that, that I don't get my doors knocked down by people wanting me to do it. I do get a lot of offers for production. What I want to produce are young bands, bands that will take my place, our place, um, all of our places, because we can't do this forever. So I haven't really found the right one either, or the right time to do it. And when I do, I'll throw myself into it full go, as I always do. Uh, but thanks for saying that, asking the question anyway, it makes me feel as though I do have a little bit to offer somewhere. <laughs> More than a little bit, I think. Okay, you've got 60 seconds. Say what you like. Well, uh, thanks for having me here. Again, I hope we don't have to wait five years until this happens again. Uh, but uh, it's, it's great of you to give me the 60 seconds to say only one word. It's going to be more than one word. You know me. Thank you is the, word I, the, the two words I wanted to say. But thanks for allowing me to, to love my life. Uh, and supporting this band and me all these years. Uh, I love everybody out there, and I'll keep making good music for you, I hope. See you on stage tomorrow Thank night. you.
Morning Rock Show, BBC Radio 1. It is now 25, 6, 7, 8, 28 minutes before midnight. OK, so it's Donnington tomorrow. The weather forecast is looking quite reasonable. It actually, though, does suggest that there might be a little bit of rain, a little bit of thunder around during the day, but lots of warm periods. That's what the pundits are saying, but we know otherwise. Around Donnington, if we all blow like that into the sky, the clouds will dissipate, it's going to be great. Bit of information, get there to the field early, get to the arena early for Donington. Cinderella were due to go on, should I say, was due to go on at 1pm. Cinderella, the band, are going to go on earlier than it is stated. So if you want to see them, and I know a lot of people do, my suggestion to you would be to get into the arena by midday, get into the arena by midday. Cinderella. Uh, well, actually, we should hit the stage at about a quarter to one, about a quarter to one, but get there nice and early. There should be lots of people, OK? Cinderella first on the bill. Cinderella here. <laughs>
In from the outside, that is by Cinderella, who will be first on the bill at the 8th annual Castle Donington Monsters of Rock Festival, which is going on tomorrow. Once again, let me reiterate, or should I indeed say it again, that Cinderella will be going on stage early. My suggestion is, because there will be a lot of people there, get into the arena area by about midday, because you don't want to miss Cinderella. Based on what I hear about them, they're excellent. Bon Jovi have been pushing them for a long time, championing, championing them. Can't even say that, but who cares? This time and I, anyway. Cinderella, first on the bill, Wasp over the top, second.
Kingdom, their excellent EP, which is in the top 30 at the moment here in the United Kingdom, Metallica, who will be on stage tomorrow around about 5 o'clock. So that's Cinderella first on the bill. Cinderella going on early, earlier than stated. They will be on approximately a quarter to one. Get into the arena. My advice to you will be about uh, midday for the Castle Donington Monsters of Rock Festival tomorrow. Cinderella will be followed by Wasp, followed by Anthrax, followed by... Metallica. Just a little bit of word of warning here. Alcohol will be available on the site. Fans should take particular note of this fact as no bottles or cans may be brought in. However, liquid refreshment in half-gallon or one-gallon polythene cordial-type containers is permitted into the festival site. As with many other major concerts, every chance that ticket touts outside the gig will be offering forged tickets for sale. At last year's Monsters of Rock Festival, forged tickets were offered for sale, rather, and some of them were honoured by, the, by the, the people who put it together, Aimcarf Limited being the company. But the company make it clear this year that they will not honour forge tickets. Get your tickets from official box offices on the day you have been warned. Special guest, Dio.
special guests at the 8th Annual Donington Rock Festival. Dio, Ronnie James Dio has been my guest on the program tonight. Ronnie James, thank you very much indeed. Always wanted to have a good long time chatting to that man, one of the greatest rock and roll singers and lyric writers, I think, of all time. Well, have, a, have yourself an excellent time. Uh, every rock fan that can get there will be at Donington tomorrow. Donington tomorrow, rather. I just uh, trust that you have a very safe day. Look after yourself, look after others. If you're driving uh, to the event at the moment, the roads are a bit slippery. Take it easy. Enjoy yourself. And uh, good luck to the Bailey brothers, who will be comparing tomorrow's show. I'll be there for some of the show, having a look from the audience side this time. I'm looking forward to that. Top of the bill tomorrow, Bon Jovi. I'm Tommy Vance. This program is produced by Tony Wilson. See you tomorrow for a Monster of Rock Day.
I know I fancy myself a bit with all this podcasting malarkey, but I'll be the first to say no one did it better than Tommy and probably never has since. The voice of rock for a generation and beyond, he is sorely missed. So I hope that's got you in the mood if you're heading for download or any gig, come to think of it. Remember to stay safe, keep your eyes peeled for anyone in trouble and above all, enjoy yourself. There's plenty more archive shows, plus more shows, of course, on our main website at classicrockpodcast.com, so why don't you pay us a visit? You can, of course, contact us on the Facebook page or drop me a line at news at classicrockpodcast.com. To everyone who's listening, a big thanks from me, and especially to those of you who've been emailing me over the past few weeks, badgering me and asking when the shows are coming back. I hope you enjoyed this one, and I'll be looking forward to bringing you a lot more classic rock and metal in the near future. Until then, have fun and be good. Ta-da. Classic Rock Podcast.